0: Welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast episode number 155, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, sporting director by sporting director. Folks, this week we are joined by none other than Marco Antonio Garces, the director of football operations for the Los Angeles Football Club. Also, joining us this week is our opponent correspondent will be Marcos from RSL Sunday. You can give them a follow at RSL Sunday Pod. As always, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me this evening, none other than Christopher Sines and Christian Apparent. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome.
1: I'm so happy to be back. A couple of weeks off, travel to KC for work. But man, what a week it was. Let's forget about the weekend, but what a week it was before this recording today.
2: Happy to be back. We've got some matches to talk about, some big matches that we won, an underwhelming match where we finally got our first loss. It took us nine weeks, nine matches to get that first loss. But I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Gentlemen, we're in a finals, brother. We are in a finals. Count them. Two. Two finals
0: in six months. Two. Utah, give me two. All right. I love it. Uh, Let's go ahead. Let's let's just dive right into it. The Los Angeles Football Club have defeated the Philadelphia Union 3-0 at the Mo 4-1 on aggregate to advance to the CCL Finals versus our dear friends in León. Once again, the black and gold faithful will be storming into the desert landscape of Guanajuato, Mexico, as we head south for leg one in León and come back to wrap it all up at the bank. I would love for the same result as last time, although arguably maybe just a little better results on the road this time. However, I feel like the narrative around this game with Leon is completely different from last time around. But just like Chris, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Why don't we have a brief moment to reflect on the 3-0 drubbing of the Union at the Mo. Christian, our resident tactical genius, break this name down for us because... I don't think anyone expected us to shut Philly out, and I certainly don't think anyone expected us to beat him 3-0. How did it happen, my friend?
1: I agree with you. I didn't expect a 3-0 victory, but I will say it felt pretty confident because Martinez was out, to be honest with you. And the way I think at the end of the first leg, we pivoted to a two defensive midfielder structure with a 10.
0: Are you saying we played a 4-2-3-1? Is that what you're saying? We
1: kind of did.
0: I remember a certain podcaster in this here pod fam of the black and gold that has been waving that 4231 flag for a very long time. <clears throat> yeah.
1: And I think you have a, a compatriot, maybe of an adoption in terms of being German and being able to just be a pragmatist and a practical person agreeing with you. And I think the mentality in the game remains the same, but I think finding the weakness and exploiting it right sitting back and also figuring out that they don't have a defensive midfielder destroying things and having a one true 10 being able to kind of be creative in there was the key to unlock so I wasn't necessarily afraid defensively and good thing you know it was that way especially with Maldonado having to play more than you know we probably thought he would in the second leg I thought it was gonna be like a 2-1 right that was it, but not what I thought and what I predicted. But in the end, I think having the two defensive midfielders, and it's not anything different, no one said, um, disrupted them being able to penetrate our defense through playing. And then having those two wingers pressure their their center backs, took away the direct balls, and also giving us both Ilie and Acosta being able to pick up the second ball. So it kind of stifled everything they were trying to do. And even then, McCarthy was able to make, some saves that saved the early momentum that they would have had if they scored early. So he's been big. He's been big. He's a big-time goalkeeper, and I'm happy that our backup is as good as he has been. And he's probably the second best keeper we've had and the best cup keeper we've had, which is incredible. Incredible, and I'm just glad we got 3-0. I thought it was going to be that 1-0, but at the end, with the red card, I think that just you know put him under and give us the ability to score those two goals in the last 10
0: minutes. Arguably could have been a red card at the very beginning of the match there. Probably should have should been have. a red card there at the very beginning of the match, but I understand it's a semifinal, it's early. Ref decided to go yellow. I guess we can understand as frustrating as that is. I love your connection between Dolo's heritage and... The fact that he's playing a more Germanic style of football, of course, the 4-2-3-1, the focus of the Das Reboot era of German football, and the fact that Herdolo der Weisspargel himself is rolling that out in these games is not surprising. I suppose that sort of speaks to the fluidity of a 4-3-3, does it not? That it gives you the option to shift into different formations throughout phases of the game. And I think that's that's kind of what we saw from LAFC in this match. And it was a very different team until they got that first goal, and albeit that was only about 20 minutes of the first half. But tactically, there were adjustments made throughout the course of the game. Something that in the Bob era of LAFC, we were just not used to seeing. And here with this new era where we're a little bit more flexible in our ideology, where plan B not only exists but is implemented more often, we're starting to see that happening. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the goal of this plan B is to exploit their weaknesses and uh, enhance what we are able to do so usually it's to turn the ball over and, and have our wingers or attackers attack in a way that is really really quick with bob it was the counter press and having it high and you know playing risky in terms of our defense being one on one now it's more of a defensive block so that we allow two to three players to be able to just turn over and score in that way so a different way of thinking of how to get our attackers in dangerous places but it seems to be much more effective, and especially in cup situations.
0: Chris, it was a heck of a game. 3-0. Mahala had himself a rocket. Bawanga out there doing Bawanga things. Vela looks solid in this game as well, too. From the fan perspective, what were your takeaways, my friend, from the 3-0 victory?
2: I think that LAFC came out and made a statement. We all know that LAFC plays very well at home. The 32-52 were rocking that night. Midweek match. And when you look at this matchup against Leon I really thought that because when they went into this leg 1 Tigres had the advantage 2 to 1 I really didn't expect to see Leon make the statement win that they did coming back and and winning on aggregates 4 to 3 it was a nail biter game and then now again true LAFC gets to host the second leg I'm confident that LAFC is going to perform well in Los Angeles on the final's day June 4th at the Mo I think that, again, though, how we played in Leon back in 2020, it's definitely another one of those things where there's a little bit of a unfinished business that we have to make sure that we handle, and we aren't just going to be able to walk in there. As long as LFC can keep it close, ideally best-case scenario, walk out of there with a win, I'll settle for a tie. But even if we're down, if we're only down by like one, You know, getting hopefully getting an away goal for the aggregate scoreline is huge, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really glad that we get to host the second leg because I think that that is extremely important. And you can look at how we've played at home, especially against big teams like Philadelphia, both times. It really is an advantage for us.
0: We're going to dive a little bit more into our opponent, Leon, as we preview the match coming up. Louis Olnick, the Seattleite who has relocated to Leon and covers Leon uh, on his podcast, will be joining us. So we will have an opcore for Leon coming up. So we'll dive more into the opponent and what they shape up to be in a future episode. I do want to say that I spoke with Carlos Aguirre of Global Diplomatic this week, and I'm happy to announce that once again, we will be doing a global day at the same orphanage we visited last time we were in León, Casa Hogar, and so we will be back the day before the match in León. So APB to all people out there in the black and gold community that are going to be showing up in Leon. If you get the opportunity to adjust your travel plans to be there the day before the match, get in touch with your friends at Global Diplomatic, Carlos, or you can reach out to myself, Jonathan, here at Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, and I'd be happy to get you in touch with them. We are going to start doing the fundraising and everything it needs to help impact the lives of these orphans when we head back once again to León. I cannot speak to how impactful and how powerful a moment this was, not only For each one of those children, but for every one of us in the black and gold community that lended a hand and helped out with those kids last time. And the opportunity to be involved in something as charitable and fulfilling has presented itself once again. There will be more from us on our socials as we get a little more organized and closer to the event. But we are already starting to gather the funds necessary to show up to the orphanage with a bunch of cool school supplies and fun stuff for those kids as we continue to be a force for good everywhere we go in the world. So more on that, but hats off once again to the folks at Global Diplomatic for stepping up with short notice and making sure that we once again have a really fun event at Casa Hogar. We are very, very excited about that. But more on the finals to come right now, simply basking in the glory of having sent the Philadelphia Union packing once again this time in more glorious fashion.
2: You know, and I just want to say for all the Seattle fans out there that are sitting there running their mouth and making our accomplishments lesser because they're like, been there, done that. Look, bro, we all know Seattle leveraged their season by them getting to the Conca Champions Finals last season. We are nowhere near that same place. So don't even sit here and be like, been there, done that. We are doing it and we are doing it in style.
1: Willing to bet that, you know, when, not if, when LAFC wins the CCL, knocking on wood, we still make the playoffs.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, in Major League Soccer, you can be terrible until July, turn it on in August and make the playoffs. And that was Seattle's intention last year. The injuries just piled up early in the summer and and they were unable to to step up and move on that they definitely did not prioritize the MLS games and that cost them in the long run. But I, I I think it was a lot more injuries than it was really their focus on CCL. I think that narrative gets ridden a little bit too much, but they were certainly, I mean, bottom three, four teams in the league by the time they made it to the finals and everyone was talking about what's going wrong in Seattle. And we knew their focus was on CCL. The post CCL Seattle was just an injury plague team that couldn't put it together late, but uh I digress there a little bit. But yeah, Seattle, calm down, all right? Congratulations on winning, first of all, first ever club from the United States of America to hoist a, you know, in its current form a CCL title. We're not taking that away from you, but uh you sacrificed your season for it and so far we have not. So,
2: I and again, we're all getting ahead of ourselves. But Saudi Arabia, December Club World Cup. Not going. I no, I don't think anybody's <laughs> going. It's of all places Right. Of all places. Saudi Arabia. Come on.
0: Well, you know who is going to Saudi Arabia? Rich. Messi. Oh, well, Rich, for sure. But I I was thinking Messi. But anyway, Chris, Christian,
1: Uh, maybe for some commercial. I I think he ended up here at some point. He's probably going to go over there and and pout like Christian was doing right now. But I was going to say
0: four hundred million dollars. I would not be pouting if someone gave me four hundred million dollars. I don't know.
1: I think the Mouse family is going to give him some sort of property rights near around Miami or the stadium. I think that that's going to be finagled in a different way for him. That's still above board and legal, but kind of shady, (laughs) but in benefit of all of us to be able to watch the greatest player to ever play in modern history or the most recent history. But I was going to say, I think Chris wasn't saying he's going. I think he's saying just where it's going to be, (laughs) because I don't know how many people really want to go there.
0: Yeah, I have no desire to visit Saudi Arabia, really. But uh yeah, Club World Cup would be really cool. It would be looking, really cool.
2: Looking forward to the next iteration of the Club World Cup. And for those of you that don't know, I'm going to tell you how it goes. Apparently, it's once every four years now. And it's going to be the four winners leading up to the Club World Cup. And, you know, so the winner is going to carry over for four years. And then every four years, they're going to have... A big bracket tournament between the five regions that fills that feeds the the club world cup. And so then it'll be 20 teams in theory because four times five. Check my math. Twenty. Twenty teams in the FIFA World Cup every four years. So if LAFC were to win this year. They would automatically be into the Club World Cup that's going to be happening a couple of years down the line. I think the next one is twenty twenty five. So like Seattle's in, Tigres is in. Who the winner this year is in, and then what you know that's that's how they're going to
0: figure out the four teams for the Club World Cup. What I'm hearing is away days are about to be epic. In a few years, maybe not so much away days, Saudi Arabia, but the rest of those away days are going to be pretty epic. And maybe I'm selling Saudi Arabia short. Maybe it's a great vacation destination spot and I'm just not in the loop here. So uh, educate me, folks. We're, we're open to that. All right. Well, enough of CCL. We're going to get our fill of that in a couple weeks here. Let's go ahead. And as we love to say, tear the band aid off and let's talk about it. It took months, but LAFC have finally got their first L of the season. An exhausted LAFC team went up to the jeans joint at Levi Stadium and dropped 2-1 to the San Jose Earthquakes. Gentlemen, before we dive into some of the ludicrous things that happened in and around this game, I just want to say, do we care?
2: Well, it's the first loss of the regular season. We had our first loss, you know, against uh, Alahualense, but
0: we lost the second half.
2: That's, but we still uh, won the game. But I'm just saying, for the statisticians that are our listeners, it is the second loss of the season. But the first and regular season. I care because I feel like San Jose has been a team in recent years that we don't play well away. I can think of traveling up north last year to go watch the match at PayPal Park. And, you know, we came out flat, didn't play well this year. Get playing in a big venue at Levi Stadium, you know, and we just we weren't able to handle business. Now we all know that a loss was bound to happen. Very few teams ever go a whole season without having losses. But I think I would have preferred to have lost to a non-California team. You know, it's not it's the rivalry between San Jose and LFC is not nearly what the rivalry is between the Galaxy and LAFC, but it's still a team that you want to beat when the match days come around. Do I care? Mildly at best. And I'm
1: I'm actually happy about losing after CCL and before the final. Like this needs to happen at some point. This feeling needs to be felt at some point that you can't just mail it in. I'm not saying they did and they actually tried, but I don't think the concentration or the come down from having such an important game earlier in the week was apparent. I I think it was lost in moments. And then there is also a lack of focus in front of goal. And I think it has to do with having these big games of consequence, performing, getting the result. And then you have one where it's like game eight or nine of a 34-year for 34 game season. And that's difficult, right? And you know that you're gonna be home within an hour, hour and a half after the game. I think it's it's more looking forward and beyond. The game and that's normal i think for a player so it sucks that we didn't get the win or the tie for all the people that traveled and made themselves heard but in the end i don't if you maybe asked them i'd say they were still happy i think there was effort i i don't think the team put up a goose egg and i think the game was there to to get a result there was just lack of focus towards the end
0: it was unquestionably the biggest game of the season for San Jose not only was it their Cinco de Mayo Festival, Levi Stadium, over 40,000 of their fans. You know, we're talking about a team whose regular game attendance is in the teens, high teens at times. I think they're averaging sixteen, eighteen thousand 18,000 a game, you know. So for them to get 40,000 fans out there, look, that's good for MLS. But they definitely had this game circled on their calendar at, at the very onset of the season. This was their big marquee match. Of course, they they wanted it to, to be against Gareth Bale and LAFC, and it ends up being against, you know, Carlos Vela and Denny Bowanga and all these other players. But uh, you know, this was by wide margin the biggest game of the regular season. And and San Jose threw everything they had at us. An LAFC team that was absolutely dog tired. And I think all of us could see it throughout the course of the game that it was just heavy legs out there. And even given all of that. You know, they eked out a 2-1 victory on a clear penalty given up late in the game by, you know, our fourth string center back. I mean, there's not really too much to look at this game and be all that disappointed in. The one moment that we tweeted about and really, really stands out to me was right at the end of the first half when an absolute elbow to the face of Daniel Maldonado right inside the box at the end of the game gets checked by VAR, and they choose not to send the ref to the monitor. And, and I have absolutely no idea on this one. It's a flying, leaping elbow to the face. You know, Daniel goes straight up. The defender comes straight in from behind him and cleans him out. Why in the world was that not called as a penalty? Christian, you're normally the one to talk me down on these. So, so go ahead. Bring me down off this soapbox. Why was this not a pen?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, on this one the only thing i can think of is if var thinks that the ref has a better angle but i don't think that was the case and at the very minimum it should have been looked at and look the ref could have still you know not changed his mind he was very proud of of what he saw or his opinion but i agree with you i think it should have been looked at and i i would
2: have agreed if it was a penalty
0: Chris, were you screaming at the TV like I was in this moment?
2: Probably not the same way as you were, good sir. But you know what? I think that this was a match where the referee was trying to let the players play and not necessarily have the cards or fouls influence the game in that manner. You know, it could have definitely gotten out of hand. If that foul had happened any time prior to it being halftime, you know, the chippiness and the gamesmanship Might have been had a little bit more, but uh, you know, it's I don't know again. I can't sit here and make a statement as to whether the call should or shouldn't be. Like, I have a hard time, you know, still making normal calls on a daily basis of like offsides and things like that. So, it's you know, it was just one of those things where it's just part of the game.
0: LAFC certainly had a lot of opportunities in the match, there were quite a few looks. Sifu, Vela, Opoku all had opportunities that. You know, on a night where they are in tip top form, we would expect them to bury those goals on a day where they were dead exhausted. And and frankly, I, I think Dolo's lineup was impacted by the gravity of the event. I, I think if this game was at PayPal Park, that we would have seen a lot more squad rotation and a lot fewer minutes for the bigger LAFC players than what we ended up getting given the spectacle of the event and what MLS wanted it to be as a showcase. So I think we were already playing players that probably should have been rested and playing them too long given the event. And it really showed, Uh, you know, there were a couple times where Vela was wide open and he took a touch too many spun around, you know, had three, four defenders on him and nothing resulted of it. You know, Opoku just misses on on what was a very Carlos Vela X moment in the game. I don't know if you noticed this, but Mahalla when he's occupying that spot in the front right there of our offense, you know, Mahalla of a few years ago would either attack the near post or drop back and and wait for a ball coming out of the box. But I rarely ever see Mahala take that Carlos Vela-esque trip across the top of the box and try and look for that left footer to the back post. And I noticed that a few times from him. So maybe that's the Carlos Vela impact on Opoku, which I thought was an interesting observation throughout the course of the game. And it's great to see the young man learning some things from the magic number 10, Carlos Vela himself. There were a lot of positives to take away from this game. You know, it just Maldonado, one late challenge there at the 82nd, whatever it was minute of the game ends up giving up the pen. I think we got smoked on about three, four challenges coming down their right side, our left side of our defense that led up to that final play. So, can't even really put the onus completely on him because there were two or three missed tackles that ended up leading to that opportunity where he had to go in with the challenge there. And Contact wasn't really significant, but it was enough for the player to go down and a clear pen to be called. And I don't think any of us would argue that uh, it was a pen at the end of the day. But LAFC dropped their first points of the season. Still looking fine in the table. Once we get those games in hand under our belt, I'm sure we'll be right back up near the top of the West where we all expect to be. Gentlemen, any final thoughts on our loss to the Smurf Nope.
1: I hope they enjoy it because if we play them in the playoffs, I think it'll be a different result.
0: couple big games this week. At time of recording, we are still a day away from the game versus Monterey Bay. That game should be done and dusted by the time this episode comes out. And we will be gearing up for RSL this weekend. Gentlemen, that's about it for news and notes. So we're going to go ahead and call our first break. And we will be right back with Marco Garces. I'm excited about this one. Catch you on the other side, folks.
1: Hi, everybody. It's Max
0: Brados. And you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Second to none bringing you the LAFC gospel. Folks, today we are joined by a four-time Mexican League champion, a two-time CONCACAF Champions League winner, five caps for L3 as a player, and of course, as a member of the player scouting and development, has earned yet another Mexican League championship, a CONCACAF championship, as well as developing and discovering a multitude of talent for the likes of Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester United, Pechuca, and now the Los Angeles Football Club. Please welcome the Director of Football Operations for the Black and Gold, none other than Marco Antonio Carces. Bienvenido, sir.
3: (laughs) Thanks a lot for your kind welcome.
0: We are so thrilled to have you here, one of the architects of this team. We're going to dive all into your role within the Black and Gold. But first, we want to go ahead and roll it all the way back, sir, and find out when did the beautiful game enter your life, sir?
3: Well, that's a very, very uh, long answer to that question because my history with football started way before I started. Because my granddad was a, a professional football player and he started in the first Mexican national team who played uh, in the 20s, really, before the World Cups existed. So he was a part of the first Mexican national team. And then he started with Club America, then with Cruz Azul as a founder. Then my dad was a football player as well, and I'm the third generation of football players in my family. I started playing first for Cruz Azul, then I went to Tecos, then I played for Chivas, and then Pachuca. I had a long playing career for 12 years. And after my playing time, I decided to go out and study something related to football. So I decided to go to England where I studied science and football. There in England, after my four years studying the, the degree on science and football, I started working for Liverpool in their academy, coaching the the younger groups, like the 12-year-olds. I started doing performance analysis. Basically, my job was just tying shoelaces and taking them to the bathroom. But I started there and then I moved on. I started working for Man United as a scout. I scouted the Mexican League for them. We did the Chicharito deal, which is now now place for the Galaxy, but we did the Chicharito deal. He went to Man United. I, I worked for them for seven years. And then I came back and started working for Pachuca. I was their technical director for 12 years. After that, I moved into LAFC. So it's been a long, long engagement with football when, in which I've done most of the of the jobs related to football, from player to scout to director of scouting to director of sports to a sports director and technical director, which I am right now.
1: As you know, you have had quite the path, uh, but how did you get into the conversation with LAFC? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? Was it a mutual in passing when you were at Pachuca or what gained interest when you were well, looking I, at the MLS club?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was looking to for a move to the MLS because I thought that this was the next big thing. I could see that there, there were things developing in here and I could feel that, that this was going to be really big. I was interviewed for a couple of roles yeah. with MLS clubs and then uh, John Thorrington just approached me and uh, he offered me the position. He asked me whether I was interested. As I told you, uh, I was very interested in the MLS, but when I heard it was LAFC and I, I had it like a the best club in, in, in the MLS. I was part of building the team of Leon that was completely battered by LAFC on that game. So <laughs> I was very well informed on the on LAFC, the style of play, the game model. And I was I just jumped into it. Really the negotiations lasted like probably 30 seconds and I said yes to everything and now I'm here.
1: Are you saying the product on the field spoke louder than or did Thorington say things beyond what you had seen? on the field? Uh, Well,
3: it's like uh, he had me at hello. So I, I, I didn't really pay much attention to anything else. I wanted to come here. I, I believe that this was the right move for me, for my family. I believe and I still believe that I can do a good job for you. Would you say that
0: you have a philosophy with regards to player development? Like what is the Marco Garcia's philosophy of developing a player?
3: No, I do not have a philosophy on player development. I do have a lot of information on the science of player development and how to produce players in a better way. What consists a good player development path and and methodology that I have. Philosophy, no. I can adapt to various different tactical approaches or game models or different things. I do have a set standard of values and uh, a lot of scientific information on how to produce that.
2: So when we look at player development, I think the first thing that pops in everybody's mind is the LAFC Academy. And with mm-hmm. there being other clubs in the MLS, like Philadelphia and FC Dallas, who have a very well-known academy that produces players. How, when you came in, what was your assessment of the academy uh, for our club? And even though it's still in its infancy of only 10 years, you know, where is the projection of of where we would be like the timeline for one day to be able to have an academy that is as well decorated as as some of the other ones? You
3: no, know, well, when I arrived, I immediately started by that, like having a look at what's, what, what you have, what's the status of everything. And what I found was a, an incredible amount of talent. I think it is at least as good as the one I had in Pachuca in Mexico with the players. I, I find a, a greater diversity in the upbringing and the background of these players. So we have... Loads of nationalities and different body types. While in Mexico, I was always constrained to a certain body type because we're quite similar in our in our buildup, while in here you have Germans, Americans, Argentinians, Brazilians, Hispanics, Japanese. We have all, we have it all in the academy. So that gives you that diversity, which I really believe that it enriches the context and enriches the product. So I believe that we do have a vast amount of talent in the academy. What I also found is a great quality in coaching and directors. The, the quality of our human resources is quite good. Where I found a deficiency was in the quality of the competition. Like we had a lot of games that we just really beat the, the opposition by many goals. And that's just misleading. And it doesn't produce, it, it produces a false sense of even arrogance in our players. And that's no good. And the other thing is uh, that the lack of competition and the lack of a path, this Academy, as as you were saying, is just in its infancy, and it started like a group of 12-year-olds playing as a team very far removed from the from the first division. Now, these generations have been growing up, and now we have a 2004 generation, which is our earlier one, which is the where Tony Leone and Duenas and Nathan Oras and Christian Torres are part of that generation. They are just turning 19 this year, so now they're getting very close to the first team, and these group of talented players are getting nearer and nearer to our first division. I think in the next few years, you'll see a couple of them breaking into the first team, as you have already seen Duenas, and you'll see this group of talented players starting playing an important role with the LAFC. And now we will have an academy that has products and that has a CV in producing players that could be comparable to the ones of uh, Dallas or Philadelphia or the ones you mentioned earlier.
2: So when we are looking also at you know, continuing to have outreach in the community, LAFC had made a partnership with the LAC SoCal Youth Program, which was originally said to have like a feeder program into potentially having players in our academy and this landscape and local youth soccer. Uh, that acquisition has there been any more talk of it being implemented into the academy structure?
3: Yes, yes, of course. It's not only this academy. We were planning on on deepen our roots into other clubs and schools that are providing players to us, and that will be a a substantial part of the scouting department. You know, in Pachuca, we had 300 affiliated schools, and this is a program that we want to start bringing here because, well, you have all these regulations about territorial rules and whatever, so we have to deepen our connections to the community and start bringing better, not better, but more players from these affiliated schools. You know, it was a problem because I arrived here just one year ago. And we were in the pandemic. It was really hard to work these affiliations where nobody exactly knew when they were coming back, where were the regulations, What were the restrictions. Right now that we seem to be passing the pandemic, now we can start retaking all these programs. Last time we
0: spoke was at Titan Stadium for an LAFC 2 game. And with the (laughs) launch of MLX Next Pro, you now have another complete roster to fill in between the academy and the first team. Uh, Now, LAFC 2 has been off to a bit of a rough start. And we know what the long-term goals are for that team to develop talent to be ready for the next level. But what are the short-term goals for LAFC 2? And what would you like to see them accomplish this season?
3: Well, it's been really a struggle. We've been struggling with results deeply. You know, we've only scored two goals. We have only two points. We're last place on the table. And we were not expecting this. We were not expecting this. But in reality, what we want with this team at LIFC 2 is to have our best players from the academy struggling, giving them an environment when, these, when they struggle. These, how they call it in science, they call it like uh, desirable difficulties. We're creating desirable difficulties so that they can expose themselves to the limits of their performance and in that way improve. We were certainly expecting, and I think we deserved a couple of points more because we've missed penalties. With every single game, you see that we have better possession, we have better XG, but we're struggling in finishing the job. So the purpose would, also, would, would be, as you clearly stated, to produce players, to develop players with the quality to get into the first team. But the short-term goals would be to expose our players to relevant minutes of desirable difficulties and see them overcome these difficulties. Right now, we're in the struggle to not have them disheartened, you know, like, uh, or, or completely uh, depressed about the results. So it'll be a challenge now. It'll be something tough. And, well, if, if there's some players there, we'll definitely get to know this year
0: that's that's quite a task that enrique has on his hands there talk a little bit about we've talked about the players but talk a little bit about the coaching and the development side Uh, our beloved jordan harvey is there working with you with lafc too we got a great coaching staff that came up from the las vegas lights and how have they performed so far how are they managing those attitudes within the locker room as they face so much adversity so far
3: yeah, well, it's a big challenge for them. As you as you stated, Jordan uh, Harvey has been a, a very big asset for us in the academy and in the first division because he brings this level of experience and this uh, level of warmth that he has towards kids, that he has these patience to talk them through the rough periods that they're experiencing. And again, Enrique and Steven and Omar, they've all been really, they've bought in the substance of playing with very young kids and trying to play in a certain game model to try and develop players. You know, it would be easier for us to just start bringing older players, but they will end up clogging the path towards the first team. So yes, I know we're struggling. I know we have to keep the hearts and the minds of our players uh, free from all these depression. That means uh, losing every week. But I do believe that in the end, in a couple of years, we will have some great players that come from this project. And they will owe a lot to Jordan Harvey and Enrique Duran and Stephen Campos and all the people that are now struggling to get results, but they're in the right path to produce players.
1: The way you're describing things, I'm envisioning kind of a a LAFC web, right? There's the Academy. There is LAFC 2 but this web is not only local in terms of you getting deep into the roots like you you described, but also Mm -hmm. it seems like the web is expanding and going internationally, right? And with the recent announcement of the Red and Gold football, how did this contact come about, number one? Mm -hmm. And what is the intent of now having a pathway for LAFC2 to get into the first team? And it seems like now, you know, domestic success, but potential transfer success for these players in their development.
3: Yeah, of course. The funnel just got wider in the beginning because now we have a wider area to scout. And it also gets, it's a funnel with many points because if you don't make it to LAFC, you can still make it to all the teams that will consist in our, in our network of teams. So uh, you will have more chances to develop, more uh, spheres to develop. in. I think that this link to Bayern Munich and the red and gold, it will bring a lot of opportunities for us. Right now, at this moment, there's four kids of us training with Bayern Munich, and they've done a great job. Jordan Harvey took them there. He tagged along with them. And uh, they've had a chance to compare themselves to their under-15s and under-17s of Bayern Munich. And, they, and they've been very successful at it. All the feedback that we've received is that our players are at the same level as these kids. Obviously, we took our, our best kids, right? But. This means a lot to us. This means a lot to us. And it means a lot to them because when they compare it to the best players in the world, they feel that they can handle themselves. And that's a great experience. And we hope to replicate it in the next theater a, a lot of times. You know,
1: Is the idea to kind of exchange at that age or that level only? Or is it also maybe having some of their academy players at some point come play here in the first team or LAFC2 or vice versa?
3: Yeah, we're still working on how this agreement will work and how many ways we want to exploit it. But yes, we do not want just to use them to increase the value of our players and and then sell them. No, we need to figure out many other ways to contribute to this relation.
2: To expand on this global network, there was the announcement of FC Wacker Unsbruck, which is the Austrian side club in the fourth division. Talk to us a little bit about what you can in terms of how this opportunity was identified and what some of the goals might be and the development side for LAFC
3: with this club. Yeah, we still don't have a lot of information regarding how we're going to exactly use it or what are our responsibilities regarding this side. But from my standpoint... It would be very interesting to be able to send some of the players there. Like, um, I I guess that right now in LAFC2, we're playing with a less than under 20 age group and an under 23. What are we going to do with the late developers? You always need need like a plan for late developers and you can produce a lot. Just to give you an an idea of this, in Pachuca, we had our three routes, right? The, The regular route, the early developer and the late developer. And some of the players that went through that late developer thing, it's like uh, Hector Herrera. Hector Herrera wasn't ready at 20 to play in our first team, so we had to send it to, to another team that we had in second division. He played there for three years. He came back, then he was signed by Porto, Atletico Madrid, and the national team in the next three years. So that late, late development route, it also gives you a lot of players. If we can do this with a team in Austria, where he can also increase their value, that would be like a, a really interesting option for us. We're making decisions on players that are too young, way too young, some people have uh, have asked me, like, why is LAFC not producing players from their academy? Our older kids have 19 years old this year. So it's almost impossible for us to to have created this. When these kids are 23, 24, we will see a lot of them in the in the first team, I guess.
1: Well, sorry, I was going to say, I want to I see if you can expand on these three paths, because I think you touched on something that uh, you right. hadn't described before.
3: Yes, there's three paths to produce players like you can have the quickly accelerated path in which there are certain players like uh, I don't know to take it in, into other other clubs like Ricardo Pepi or Sullivan or, or McLean. These players that at 18, they're playing in first division. That's not normal. You usually get into first division when you've completed your 10,000 hours and that's mostly 21, 22. If you cannot make it to 21, 22, because you're not an early developer, you're like a late developer, you need to cater for these players by providing them loan options that they can go expand their their expertise and then come back. So you have these three routes, the regular route in which they turn professional at 20, the accelerated route when they turn professional at 17, 18, and the late developer stage where you go 23, 24. We, we're running a little short on time here, but I want to sneak one final
0: question in before we get to our, our last question for you. And that is, you have worked in so many football markets in scouting and developing talent across the globe. How does Los Angeles set itself apart from some of the other regions in which you've scouted? Like, how is a Los Angeles talent different than an English talent or a European proper talent or, or a Mexican talent?
3: Well, this is the city of of angels, the city of entertainment, and I think it reflects on the kind of players that you have. These Southern Californian kids are full with flair, with creativity, with this kind of fun, with this kind of creativity and flair, right? And uh, and maybe they lack a bit of the fight, of the grit that other countries like like England has, you know? So if they can be exposed again to these desired difficulties, they will develop this grit and and character that they will need to become professionals. But in the sense of creativity, flair, quality, technical ability, I think Los Angeles has as good as it comes.
0: Well, you've been very generous with your time this evening. We do just have one final question for you, sir. It's a a question we ask every guest. It's the name of the show. And it it mm-hmm. manages to find a way to resonate differently with every person we ask this question to. So, Mister Gar says, "What does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, sir?"
3: Shoulder to shoulder means to me something that I saw one one of the first times I was in the stadium. The thirty two fifty two, they produced this banner, this 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 great banner that it said "belong." And when you're coming to a different team, especially like me, like I I, I worked twenty three years for Pachuca. When you come to a new team you feel a bit like like different like you don't belong there seeing that banner there belong and seeing this shoulder to shoulder theme it made me feel welcome it made me feel uh, belonging and i guess that's uh like the big thing about la we all come from different parts but yet we belong and that that really means a lot to
0: me oh, beautiful thank you so much for that answer folks Our guest has been Marco Antonio Garces. He is, of course, the director of football operations for LAFC. Give him a follow at LAFC (laughs) Marco, new to the world of social media, uh, but been representing so far. Sir, thank you so much for joining us. It is our esteemed pleasure to have had you here.
3: Oh, thanks a lot for the invitation. And uh, you're always welcome.
0: Folks, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back with the final segment of today's show. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey,
2: and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. All right, Black and Cold family, welcome back. For this week, our opponent correspondent is Marcos Pickett. He is from RSL Sunday. You can give them a follow at RSL Sunday Pod. Marcos, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This uh, match coming up this weekend, 13th time all-time between LAFC and RSL. RSL has had two wins in this all-time record, You know, and they're coming off a little bit uh, less than hot streak but before we get into the current run of form we'll talk a little bit back about the off-season movement so we had some outgoing players u.s men's national team player bobby wood who had his option declined defender aaron herrera was sold to cf montreal forward sergio cordova had his loan expired and the forward justin miram was sold to charlotte Talk to us a little bit about those four players, and were any of them significantly felt in the off season to where you were looking to see if they needed to be replaced?
4: Yeah, so of, of course the the most recent one was uh, Justin Mirm heading to Mon, uh, to Charlotte, excuse me. Um, in exchange we got a lot of GAM out of it. We got three hundred fifty thousand dollars of GAM, um, and he was the player that was just coming off the bench. He wasn't getting playing time. Um, he only had one assist recorded this season, so. It was kind of a, a good move on our end um, because that leaves room for more development for players, other other midfield that, that left. He headed to Vancouver, um, and he was our leading goal scorer last season. He had, I believe, 10, 11 goals last season, and and, and once he left, we have no goal scorer now. All we have is Lily Anderson-Julio and the likes of Rubio Rubin, who neither of them can score goals. And we had Bobby Wood who headed to New England revolution and we've seen what he's so far done this season and he's been tearing it up. He just had a goal this past week and he he's just keeping up hits the old Bobby Wood from what we saw when he was with the U S national team. So he hasn't skipped a beat at all. Um, he, but he's one of those players, him and Aaron Herrera, I think are the two players that we, we kind of are, are kicking ourselves in the foot for, for letting go. Um, Aaron Herrera headed to Montreal. And he's been he's been solid so far with, with the back line for Montreal. Um Montreal has kind of had a slow start so far to the season, but they 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 are probably liking what, what they have seen from from Aaron Herrera, especially this, this past weekend from from what he he did for, for them.
2: Yeah, you know, that connection with Bobby Wood and Bruce Arena from the US Men's national team days, I'm sure has gone a long way. You know, and it's it's definitely unfortunate when you have a player. With your club, and then you uh, move on from him, and he goes off and and does well at his next club, and you wonder if it was the player, the environment, the coaching. But uh, say la vie as it is. Yeah, so absolutely. you know that we'll look at some of the incoming players in the off season. You had acquired two players from the Colombian league: forward Andres Gomez, who was from Millonarios, and that was for an undisclosed fee, and then mm. also defender Brian Vera from America de Cali and that was also for a undisclosed fee. So and also you have a player on loan, Moses Nyman, who is an American uh, who is on loan from the Belgian side Sporting Beveren. So uh talk to us about those three players and what sort of performances are you expecting from them.
4: Yeah, Andre Scumms, he a young young player and he's he's been a very good player. He has one goal, three assists. And him and Saverino right there in our midfield have have uh, paired very well together. If one person has an assist, the other person is going to score. So they are very, very good chemistry right there in the midfield. Um, and then Vera, Vera is a, a junkyard dog. He is the equivalent of like a, a Dennis Rodman in, in, for soccer. He is very scrappy and won't give up, um, always always hustling for for any any loose ball. Um, Moses Nyman, um, player, very young player that we, we got from Belgium, has, has not seen any minutes for the first team. Um, probably we'll probably see minutes uh, with the Monarchs, the USL team before anybody, um, just because um, they, they he, he had, his number has just has not been called up yet. hasn't hasn't been in the 18 whatsoever. So we'll hopefully in, in due time, his his name will be called up.
2: So well, let's talk really fast about the form and some of the results. Right. RSL currently have three wins, two ties, five losses, sitting in 11th place in the West. March was not a good month for you guys had three losses all month long. April, you were able to rebound a little bit, get two wins in April, but your last match in April and your first match in may, they both have ended in nil nil draws. Uh, What do you feel needs to happen in order for RSL to get back on the score sheet?
4: Yeah, I, I kind of mentioned it before, but we need, we, we need a goal score Um, right now. We don't have a single goal score Um, with Krylock still coming back from injury. Um, and then we had Pablo Ruiz out with suspension. Um, we need we need a midfield because we have nobody orchestrating our midfield besides Saverino and Gomez. So hopefully come this summer transfer window, we make that happen, getting a number nine and somebody to facilitate facilitate that up top because who knows how much longer Demir Krylock has in his career being 34 years of age along the likes of Marcelo Silva, also being 34 years of age.
2: It's definitely running out of time. In, in terms of Demir Kralak, who has been, you know, uh, definitely a thorn in the side of LAFC. I remember in, in the uh, 2019 season, Demir Kralak was someone that they, when he, he had his, his presence on the pitch and you just, you were worried about him and his abilities. I'll, I'll never forget the ninja kick where the goal, <laughs> where the ball goes in and you're just like, ah, like, ah, oh, that, 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 goal, that, that goal was insane. But, uh, so, let's talk a little bit about matchups. Who are, what are some of the matchups or who are some of the key players that we should be keeping an eye out for for this weekend? You know, we might be more familiar with, you know, Saverino and and some of some of your more well-known players, but who who are some players that we may not be aware of that we should keep an eye out for?
4: Yeah, like I mentioned already Saverino and Gomez, those are the two most obvious ones. Um but a lot of people that aren't really well-versed with Justin Glad Um, our goal scorer, two goals this season he he started jokingly he was our leading goal scorer for a couple of games but he's he's a poacher um, on set pieces on free kicks on corners he him and Marcelo Silva are those two players to keep an eye out for because they they are always cheeky and always can get ahead on it um, and always can either get ahead or can be sneaky on, on that that back post to just tap it in
2: All right. And if RSL were to look to, to come out of this match with points, whether it be a tie or, or all three points, what are the key matchups in terms of, you know, where, what are the areas that RSL want to look to capitalize on in terms of the overall gameplay?
4: Yeah, I think for, for this one, going against a very tough LAFC team that they're good on the attack with Apoku, Vela, Bawanga, it all starts in our midfield because if we can't, control our midfield if it's just like Swiss cheese like it's been when we lost four nothing twice to St. Louis and both to Austin then this is going to be this is this game is going to be over by halftime so we have to be able to have a hold for our our midfield and have that chemistry that that we have that we've had the past two games against Seattle and Houston
2: yeah absolutely you know even you know having a nil-nil draw doesn't necessarily look well for your, your offense but you know, that is a credit to the defense and the ability to keep the other teams off the score sheet. So, you know, it 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 there is good with the bad when it comes to that. And let's talk straight about predictions. You know, what are your overall predictions for the match this weekend? And how do you think RSL is going to fare when it comes to the postseason?
4: I, I think with having our Open Cup game tomorrow against a very good Portland team on the road, um, Portland has usually had our number, whether it be regular season, postseason over there. It's going to be a tough one, um, midweek game, and then having another game, big game on Saturday, that will be a huge toll. Obviously, depending on what players play, whether we have our our actual lineup, whether we have some bunch players, vice versa, that's going to be a play play a factor. But I think with this one, LAFC is is sniffing blood. Um, they're going to this is going to be a bounce back game after having a hard defeat on Saturday to a very good San Jose team. I think this is going to be a three nil win for for LAFC um is just going to go back right back to his scoring ways
2: and uh what about for the postseason how do you think that RSL is going to be able to find a way to move from 11th into a playoff spot
4: I I I think yes um it's still kind of very very early we still have obviously open cup we still have some matches and then we have leagues cup so I I think we'll somehow sneak in like we do every year we'll either be eighth or ninth um not the way that we uh, us fans want to be, but that's just, I guess, the, the way that this team is scrappy and somehow finds a way to sneak in.
2: Yeah, I do agree, though, that RSL is definitely a very scrappy team. And that is part of what makes them hard because they're not necessarily predictable and that the physicality is going to be uh, something that you have to prepare for. Mm -hmm. So but uh, thank you again. Uh, Our opponent correspondent for this week has been Marcos Pickett. Again, he is from RSL Sunday. You can listen to their episodes get released every Sunday uh, when they after they cover their, their team for the match. You can follow them at RSL Sunday Pod. And uh, thank you again, Marcos. We look forward to having you back on again next time we play RSL. Thank you so much, Chris.
0: This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC. And you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. All right, gentlemen, we've just heard from Marcos at RSL Sunday. We have all the information ready to make a prediction about this weekend's match. So gentlemen, what is going to be the result of LAFC visiting RSL? Chris, go ahead. Take us out.
2: I think that LAFC is going to write the ship. We are expecting high things from this club. When you look at RSL right now, they've only had three wins at the season. You know, they had a nil nil draw to start the month and it's, it's just one of those things where we are expecting L.A.C. to come out, right the ship, get ready for the upcoming matches. You know, there there are going to be the two matches leading into this match against León. We get a rematch against San Jose, Sporting Kansas City. I think that L.A.C. is going to look to try and get back into their form because they want to be ready to go in the driver's seat for the uh, matches at the end of the month.
1: I think it's going to be a two-one victory for LAFC. and I think either Stipe or Mati Bogic are going to get their goal. One of them is going to score a goal. And then it'll be probably Denny Buonga. I just want him to keep tallying it up. <laughs> I want him to inspire Carlos as he approaches his record and hopefully become a juggernaut towards the end of the season. But that that's my prediction. And um, I think, you know, Ralph Salt Lake at home can be tough and the altitude can be tough. But I think we have plenty of uh, game changers to be able to put that back and and, and take the result that they... Want
0: when looking at RSL, we're talking about a team that has given up the second most goals in the West Portland. They're sitting atop a table. They don't want to be atop of having given up 19 goals on the season sitting there in second place is RSL and Carson who both have given up 17 goals on the season. This is a team with an atrocious back line defensively. Now they tend to play a little bit better at home, but you're talking about the second worst defense in the West up against unquestionably the best offense in the West. There's no reason we don't put three goals past these guys, uh, unless we have one of those fluky altitude games where the balls just, you know, flying funny for us, or or we just have a, you know, a tired legs game, which I, I think we're going to see a lot of rotation with the midweek game versus Monterey. So uh, I, I'm I'm, pretty confident that we should be able to put up three goals. Um, The defense haven't had a lot of minutes put in some guys still out on injury. I would not be surprised if we gave up a goal or two in this game. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and throw a three, two prediction on this game. I think that uh, we storm out offensively, but we're going to struggle a little bit defensively. And I still think that RSL's defense is just no match for what LAFC is going to put out. They're not going to stop us from putting three, four past. So it'll be, you know 313242 probably the prediction for for our final score here today. Gentlemen, that is going to go ahead and wrap us up for today's episode. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to episode 155. Huge shout out to Marco Garces for joining us as our guest this week and a big thanks to Marcos from RSL Sunday Pod. Please give them a follow at RSL Sunday Pod for joining us as our opponent correspondent. On behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris Christian and sound engineer Wilton, thank you so much. Take us home, sticks.
4: Showed up, to show up. Together this our culture. Full the
0: force of a supernova. Stay flying at FC Dorsa. Hey, shopping down the nicknames, Korea town lity. keep of soul, mommy, about to drop her fit. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, i defend that bank.